0: Welcome to all of you to worship today. I love the fact that this is Pentecost um, because the first Pentecost was really the story of God taking a group of people who kind of, they were uh, hunkered down in, in an upper room somewhere waiting for the Spirit to come and when that Spirit came suddenly <clears throat> they were equipped and empowered to do what the Lord Jesus had told them to do but which they never could have done on their own strength. And there's a sense in which this is a Pentecost moment for us too because the thing that we believe the Lord is calling us to do to eliminate this debt uh, and to reap resources like we've never done before, it will be something that will be hard to do unless the Spirit empowers us, gives us hearts of generosity and courage and faith to step out. So welcome to what is really a momentous time for us. We are setting the course for what will bring us to a point of being debt-free as a congregation so that we can pour ourselves into loving and to serve and to give to our community like we have never done before, and I'm really glad that you're here. And the fact that you are here this morning, especially for those of you who had prom last night, it says something about your love of the church and your love of this vision. It might also say that you forgot what Sunday this was because most of you know what we are gathered here to do and uh, if you happen to have walked in as a visitor and you don't have any idea what you're walking into, I would like for you to take a deep sigh of relief and just relax because you are our guest's. But it will be a chance for you to listen in on a really important family conversation that we are having. One that we believe will, in in this time of commitment, will set the trajectory for our church for generations to come. So lucky you. You get to be here on this day. And from the bottom of your pastor's heart, I just want to say thank you to my sweetheart church for the journey that we have shared these past weeks uh, in an initiative that we're calling Beyond These Walls. Obviously, part of the purpose of Beyond These Walls is to raise money, to eliminate debt, to free up resources. But I dare say this is more about a journey of discipleship than it is fundraising. Because really, we are looking at the heart, what must be shaped in the heart of every disciple of Jesus in order to be the kind of people God uses to make history. And over these last weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew and those moments in the lives of these green, raw recruits that Jesus called from boats and from tax tables and said, you come and follow me. And we watch in moment after a moment how Jesus takes these times, these moments, to to, um, to transform them into the kind of disciples that really would end up making history. Today, we're going to look at a moment called consecration. Consecration. The word consecrate means to to make holy, to lay it before the Lord for his purposes. Later on in the service, many of us are going to do that very thing as we consecrate our pledges to the Lord's purposes. We make it holy in his sight, ask him to make it holy. But really, those first disciples who decided to follow Jesus, that was a time of consecration for them, for they laid aside boats, they laid aside nets, they laid aside family in order to follow the Lord. That was a consecrating moment for them. And uh, and the fact is that Jesus talked a lot about this aspect of generosity as a necessity for disciple-making. He talked about money a lot, really a lot. And perhaps the most famous story is the one that I'm going to share with you today. The context of it is this. A young man had come to Jesus. Uh, He is described as a rich, young leader. The various gospels talk about him in different ways, but he was wealthy, he was obviously connected, he was accomplished, Uh, and when Jesus began to talk to him, he realized that that he was also well-versed in the Bible. He was moral, he was upstanding, probably one of the leaders in the synagogue. So this young man comes to Jesus with all of these qualities, and he says, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. Now, for those of us who are on the outside, who are on the nominating committee for that church, we would have said, absolutely, you ought to get one of these guys on your board. I mean, this Jesus is the kind of person you want on your board of directors. He's smart. He's wealthy. He's got business moxie, not like these fishermen and these others. They're the kind of the hicks from Galilee. This is the kind of guy you want. He's the world shaper, the world shaker. The thing is, Jesus could look into his heart as he looks into every one of our hearts. And Jesus realized that this young man, wealthy as he was, accomplished as he was, moral as he was, he was addicted to his money. And so Jesus asks him to do something that he never asked another of his would-be disciples to do. He said, here's what I want you to do if you want to follow me. I want you to go, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then you can follow me. And we are told that this young man turned his back and walked away sad because he had great possessions. One of the gospels said Jesus loved him. He loved this young promising young man but he could not pay the price that the Lord asked him to pay. He turned his back and he walked away. And it's in that context that as Jesus watches this young, wealthy, accomplished leader walking away, he uses this as a teaching moment for the rest of his disciples. We find the story in Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse 23. Listen to this really remarkable and and, uh, visible, visible and visual and vivid story of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard these things, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then then Peter replied by saying, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world... When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive one hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you take these words from a written page, and would you bring them to flame in our hearts, that we might be more faithfully yours? For we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's a familiar story, right? A very familiar story to us. In order to really appreciate it, though, we need to set it in its context. Here's the first thing you should know. For the first century Jew, the assumption was that wealth was a sign of God's favor, a sign of God's blessing. If you were a poor person, it was kind of like Jewish karma. If you were a poor person, it was assumed that God was displeased with you. You had done something wrong and he was punishing you. But if you were a wealthy person, and if you were a wealthy person and young to boot, an up-and-comer, a world-shaker, then surely God must be very, very pleased with you. Can you see then, with that being the case, how upsetting Jesus' words would have been to them? He said, He said, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And his listeners would have been absolutely shocked to hear that. Because they assumed that wealth was a sign of salvation. Not an obstacle to their salvation. And you hear it in their voice when they say, well then who can be saved? Who then can be saved? In other words, they were saying, if this guy, this wealthy, young, accomplished, moral, connected young man, if he can't be saved, then what chance do we hicks from Galilee? What do we have? What possible chance do we have? And then Jesus doubles down. He repeats himself even more vividly. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Some of you might have heard taught, and likely because I have taught this, that there is a gate in the, there was a gate in the old city of Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. It was a small gate within a bigger gate. They closed the big gate at night, but the small gate could open a little easier. And, and if a caravan showed up and a camel was laden with all of its wearers, well, they could get in through the eye of the needle, but they kind of had to stoop down, and it was very uncomfortable, very clumsy, very inconvenient. you 've probably heard me say that. The problem is the more research I have done, the more i 've come to discover there is no archaeological evidence whatsoever that there was ever a gate in the old city called the Eye of the Needle. Apparently, i just made making this stuff up. so i 'm sorry. In fact, the more I read it and the more I look at what the commentators have to say, they say Jesus means exactly what he is saying. He's talking about a real camel going through a real eye of a real needle, which is what? Impossible, which is exactly the words Jesus used. It is impossible. Jesus is using this hyperbole to make his point, And it is simply this that the wealthy can become obsessed with their money and that they can view it as the source of their security. We end up trusting our money, our IRAs, our pension plans, our financial advisor more than God for our future. And I know this is true because, honestly, I've become more obsessed about these things the older I've gotten. I confess it to you. I'm sorry I'm not proud of it, but it is, in fact, the case. I find myself thinking about these things. Are we okay if I... When we worship and trust our wealth, it makes it impossible for us to worship and trust God. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus said. Now, for those of you who are kind of surreptitiously looking down the pew to see who the richest person in your row is, to figure out who Jesus was really talking about here this morning, and I know some of you are doing, who was who he talking to today? Well, I'm, fr- I'm sorry to disabuse you of that hope, but as a matter of fact, the words of Jesus were directed at every single person in this sanctuary because we are in this world, the, 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 the poorest among us today are, are wildly rich by the world's standards. All you have to do is walk with me as I've done through the, the slums of a, of a village outside of Madras, India, the, where the, the houses are covered not with wood or paneling, but with dung, with manure. Or in the slums of Tijuana, where we build houses every year. Or with our Haiti team, uh, who had an opportunity to visit and minister among the poorest nation in the entire Western Hemisphere. All you have to do is go to these places. It's why I love it when you guys go down to Mexico every year, because it is a jaw-dropping experience, isn't it? The first time you see this, you say, I had no idea that anyone lived this way. This isn't exactly Gig Harbor anymore. And if you have any doubt about what I'm saying about our relative wealth then I want to give you a website. It's www.richglobalrichlist.com. Uh, Write that down. I think you'll find it interesting. globalrichlist.com. If you enter your income and the country in which you live, it will tell you where you fall in relation to the entire population of the world as far as your income and your wealth. So I decided to enter $50,000, which isn't even our median income here in Gig Harbor. I thought, let's enter 50,000 bucks and just see where that, someone making that money in this, in this community would fit in the scheme of the wealthy of the world. Guess what percentage point that falls in if you were making 50,000 bucks. I see one. Any other guesses? 10? One? Any other? Two? 0.31%. If you're making $50,000 here, you're not only not a one percenter, you're a .31 percenter. That is an astounding reality, isn't it? And it's kind of humbling, honestly, and perhaps a little bit convicting. Now, I know that there are people here who have struggled to make ends meet. I know that there have been times when jobs have been hard to come by. But most of us have a warm place to sleep. Most of us have something to eat. Most of us have a TV or two. To watch a car or two, to drive a cell phone or eight, to listen to and to be a, vexed by. And if we have those things, we are by the world's standards, we are wealthy, we are rich. So none of us can dodge the implication of Jesus' comments here when he warns the wealthy of how impossible, how impossible it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The good news is, though, and there is a gospel here, that what is impossible for us, for, for us rich people, is possible for God. He can do these things. And Jesus says, if you're willing to lay all of this, including your wealth, if you'll lay it at my feet, if you'll trust me with your life and all that you possess, then I will, I will give it back to you a hundredfold. I will bless you. And oh, by the way, I will also give you that little perk of eternal life. Jesus talked about this kind of stuff again and again. Often he talked about money, about generosity, of wealth, and the importance of submitting it to the the Lord. And we know these promises, and if we've been in church any time at all, we've heard the stories, we know the promises of Jesus, and still, the matter of trusting the Lord with our money, it can be hard, can't it? And I just know you're nodding your heads inside, even if you're not on the outside, but can't it be hard to trust the Lord with your wealth? Martin Luther, who we're celebrating this next October, it will be a very big St. Andrew's Sunday when we celebrate the Reformation. Martin Luther uh, talked about this once in a sermon, and he said that there are three conversions necessary for every person. Three conversions. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the purse. And, he's, and he said, for, of the three, for many, the third is the most difficult. During the Crusades, the knights, before they went off to fight, to kill, they would often be baptized, they would be immersed, kind of to to consecrate them, to save them, to set them aside before they went off to do these things that they did. Frequently, before the knight who was being baptized, was being immersed, they would be baptized with their sword arm out of the water. In other words, they were saying, I want Christ to save all of this, I want him to save most of me, but this part, this part I will reserve to myself. And it does strike me that many Christians in America today, today, we are baptized like this. See, Lord, I want you to save, I want you to clean, I want you to claim all of this, but I'd like to hold on to the purse strings if you don't mind. And of course, Jesus says, I want it all. And a moment today, like today, of worship, when after weeks of prayer and conversation and listening to the Spirit and to each other, we're going to come forward and we're going to lay down a card that represents our wealth, our sacrifice. It's a moment when we're doing this. Say, Jesus, will you baptize this too? Will you baptize my wallet too? I want to entrust all that I have, all to Jesus I surrender, and so we clean and claim every part of my life, including my wealth. One of the great things about doing an initiative like this as the pastor is I have the privilege of hearing so many wonderful stories. I wish you could hear them. It would so inspire you as you've wondered where where you're going to be. If you could hear the stories of some of your fellow pewmates, it would just encourage and lift your spirits as it has done mine so I want you to hear some of them. And we're going to start with the, the widows. I began our series back with the widows. You might remember when we were passing that little coin around? Well, I want to talk about the widows, the way that the widows of our church are leading us. Two weeks ago, I was approached by one uh, widow who's in her mid-80s. She handed me her commitment card and she said, Pastor, this is all that I can do right now. And, uh, and of course, uh, I, she, I knew she wanted me to, to look at it, and so I looked down at it, and it was $20,000. I was so astounded, I had no words, and that doesn't happen to me very often. I just gave her a kiss, on the cheek, on the cheek. There's another woman who, uh, in the same situation in life, she sent me an email that very weekend. She said, you know, my, my late husband had a, a retirement fund. I've gone to the financial advisor, and I'm going to sign this over to the church. It's a $30,000 retirement fund. Those kind of stories, led by our widows, just blow my mind. But here's the deal. These stories cover the gamut. They cover the spectrum. Because I got another card from, from a man, who, and he wrote down Zero. He said, I don't have any money. But if the Lord will grant me labor, I, I will give. And I want to be considered as all in. I want to be a part of this. And so he pledged zero. But he said, but I'm going to try. I had a young college kid who came to me this week. He said, you know, I don't make very much. I go to college. But he said, would it be okay if I pledged like 100 or $200 a month for three years? What do you think my answer was? Absolutely, it would be okay. We we would welcome that. Hey Bob, yeah. What did I say? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a hundred a year. Well, I changed it to a monthly... <laughs> That's why they don't let me actually handle the cards. They just tell me the things I need to know, and I never actually look at any numbers. There's a young family, a young couple in our church that have been saving for a remodel of their home. Um, They felt the Lord was leading them to defer their remodel, and so instead they have pledged $60,000. That's astounding, isn't it? And another couple that has left everything to the church in their will. Everything. We're going to get it all. But they said, you know what? We want to live to see some of the benefits. So they made a significant pledge right now because they said, we want to be alive to see some of the good this is going to do. And then there was the couple that made the largest gift that we've received. It was a very significant gift. But the journey that they went on of prayer and discernment and struggle, it was a a real step of faith for them. And so you see what I mean? The spectrum, the, this is God's people, the spectrum for Of those from the the tiniest gift, even a zero pledge, but we're hoping for more, to the mid-six-figure gift. It, It indicates the way that the Spirit of God has been working in the hearts of His people to get rid of this debt and to free up these resources and to serve this community as we've never done before. We even had a family who started visiting from Port Townsend during the Beyond These Walls initiative because they're going to move down here. Well, they wanted to see what kind of a church it was. They started coming and they came to all three of our services over the weeks during the initiative. Including renting a hotel overnight so that they could go to a nine o'clock service on a Sunday morning, because they loved the vision, and they wanted to have experience of the entirety of our church, not just one service. I loved that. I loved that. And this is our moment, uh, my dear Chapel Hill family. This is our moment of, of sacrifice when we determine and step into our future together. Back in 1962, 96 of our charter members, our church parents, they came up here and they bought this chunk of land and they built a chapel on the other end. It was actually a monstrously large building. It seated 250 people. Who would need a church that big? But they stepped out in that moment. Moment. And then in 1994, we built a gymnasium. You weren't here, most of you, for that. You weren't even alive. But in 1994, we built a gymnasium because there was no place in this community for kids to play outside of the schools. We said, we will be that place. In 1997, we built this building. We built it larger than we needed because we said, the community needs a meeting place. And we will give that as a gift to our community. And by the way, there is still no other place in the community that can do what we can do in this building. And in 2005, we built a youth center and we built a gathering place where you could do things like hosting for the 11th year in a row, the Gig Harbor Students of Distinction Award, which was held right next door, again, in service to our community. So you need to understand this if you're newer to our church. From the beginning, Chapel Hill has built buildings and built programs and built people to serve not only our needs, but the needs of our community and our region We have always been about being beyond these walls. This is just a continuation of this heritage that is in our DNA and has been from the very beginning. And so I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do through you in these coming moments, my faithful sweetheart church. So here we go. You all should have uh, one of these cards. If you don't, raise your hands because I, I, even if you already turn one in, I'm going to ask you to take the time to fill it out because I would love for you to bring it forward as, a, as an act of public worship. So if you need one, ushers are going to be looking. Lift your hands up, see, and just keep them up until they do so, all right? So even if you already turned one in, please would you, in part two because we didn't get complete information, and so it would help us if we do that. I'd like to just talk through a few things with you uh, this morning. First of all, a reminder, if you're a guest, we expect nothing from you, other than to get out of the pew so that everyone else can get out, and we won't end up tripping over the top of you, so that will just be fine. Please fill out both sides legibly. Take a look on the color side, would you? You see this little step chart? I'd ask you, in addition to what you're going to fill out on the other side, would you please check off one of those boxes? Because we would love to know where we are as a church in our journey of generosity. For instance, the man this last week who said he's going to use Beyond These Walls as the reason for finally being faithful in giving the full tithe. He's never really given 10%, and so he's going to start tithing. Well, then he would check the the third box from the bottom. And that young college student who suddenly discovered he's going to give $1,200 a year, apparently, um, he would check the bottom of initial giving. This is going to be the beginning of his journey in generosity. So hopefully that will help. On the back, on the back. Please fill in your best estimate of what you think you can do over three years. It's a three-year gift. And that, that longer time frame might be helpful, and it will certainly allow your gift to be maybe more significant than if you had to cram it into one calendar year. Please let me remind you, this is the, the best faith estimate. This is a, uh, your, your prayerful intent. It's not a contract. If for some reason your circumstances change, we're not going to send t- 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 bill collectors out to-, to collect on this, I promise. But uh, but if you want to take your best shot at, at explaining what that might be, that would be uh, great. And then this is really important. This is important. Um, this is a, a, a commitment that is over and above your ordinary tithe and offering. I hope we've been clear about that. Can you see that if you, all you do is to take what you give to you know pay for toilet paper lights and and salaries if you move that over to this it just kind of cannibalizes our ongoing ministry so it needs to be a gift that's above and beyond what you're intending to do with that and then if you would help it would help us with our timing if you indicate how frequently you're going to make that gift and Cindy in my case we're going to make three annual gifts that will be above and beyond our ordinary giving and that's how we are going to fulfill our beyond these walls commitment one last thing All along, I have told you that although we want to raise $5 million and eliminate debt, that's not our number one priority. What is our number one goal of this initiative? 100% participation. Say that with me one more time, please. 100% participation. Our longing, my prayer, is that every person who considers Chapel Hill their church home would do something. The widows might even, but would do something to be a part of this experience. But here's the deal. The other thing I've told you is that What we want you to do is ask the Lord what he would require of you, and then obey him. So honestly, if you've asked the Lord about this, and he said, no, I don't want you to give your money there, then it doesn't matter what I say or what the session says, you need to be obedient to him. But if you feel free of the Lord to do it, I hope you can be a part of it. Here's the flip side, though. There might be some here today, as we're getting ready to come forward, who might say they felt stirred to maybe do more than they originally intended And and if you're here with your spouse, this would be that moment before we uh, turn in the card for you to kind of look each other in the eye and say, are we sure that we're hearing what the Lord wants and are we being obedient to that? So I'm going to ask you to uh, just remain seated for a couple of minutes. If there's another conversation to be had, uh, please do so. Please fill out that card in full one more time if you would for us. And then when I indicate uh, we will uh, come forward. And I hope everyone from the the high school student that may not be able to do a hundred bucks a month, but you know, all, the, all the way up, I hope all of us will have a chance to participate. And, and here's just one last thought to have in mind. One way to think about this would be is you ask yourself this question. If everyone in the church sacrificed at the level I am sacrificing, would we reach our goal? I don't my, mean by that the same gift. We can't possibly give the same gift, but we can give the same level of sacrifice for us. And so if everyone sacrificed at the same level that you are sacrificing, that I am sacrificing, would we reach our goal? And I can tell you that Cindy and I prayerfully believe that to be the case for us. We, uh, if everyone did, we have tried to sacrifice in that way. We invite you to to join us. So take a moment, and then I'll call you forward in, in just a bit. Okay, we're going to come forward together and lay our gifts before the Lord on what we're calling an altar today. Um, balcony people, I would ask you to make your journey down. We will be wrapping up the service right after here anyway, so if you're able to, please come on down and join in the, the stream of the faithful who are making their way up, and, and then just stick around for the closing comments and the prayers. There's some place to sit down here, so if you would, that would be terrific. Please come make your offerings to the Lord.